Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC information, news, and all of the such. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. I feel like it's been a while since I last did a podcast. I mean, I'm currently recording this Tuesday, January 16th, and I believe our last one was on the 11th. Or something. So it's been like five days since I recorded a podcast. A lot has went down in that time. A lot has went down. Um, of course, we had UFC Vegas 84 this past Saturday, headlined by Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. I will be dropping my full card review to round out this episode. It was a very fun one. A lot of, a lot of interesting stuff to touch on. Future title shots might have been on the line. Some new people in the rankings. And we already have some knockout of the year contenders. Also going to be recapping all of the wild card games from this past uh, playoff NFL weekend. It was a fun one. Uh, some upsets. Some surprising wins. We're going to be covering it all. Very much fun there. Of course, looking over some new UFC news. I'm going to be mentioning a little fancy football playoffs thing that I made with a couple of my buddies. Going to be going over that. Of course, checking in with the NBA and NHL. Going over some uh, books I've been reading, some shows I've been watching, movies I watched. Fun stuff such as that all on the podcast. Very much excited for this. And it's been it's been a good first week back at college getting back into it. I was finally able to plan out a full week on my whiteboard. And I do find that planning out your week and just writing down uh homework to do, even little stuff, going to the gym, reading a book, just I mean, you can even put making your bed, eating dinner on the list. Uh it really helps you feel productive throughout the whole day. And I've also been trying to fix my sleep schedule as of late. It, it's uh, over the summer, this past summer Summer I was good because I worked from eight to four every day. Then I'd you know come home, enjoy dinner, just after hours, and then I'd wake up at five every morning and go to the gym. So I had a consistent sleep schedule for about four, three to four months, and then just once I got back to college, I mean it's you know if if there's any college students, I mean sleeping in becomes more common. It's harder to wake up in the morning. So I'm gonna try and fix that this week. I uh, I woke up early, or I guess nine thirty isn't really early, but I had no reason to wake up early today because I didn't have class until two. Kind of got the day going. I do have class at 9.30 uh, tomorrow, so I will have to uh, get up maybe at like 7 or 8. We'll see We'll see what happens. That's uh, that's personal stuff I need to work on. But um, yeah, let's just talk about some recent, some recent news that has been circulating in the MMA world, the UFC community, because we've had some major announcements, not just out of the UFC world. Like, so... UFC, this is something that I always bring up to people that I feel is very important, is that the UFC isn't the same as MMA. It is not the same as MMA. It is very much different. MMA is basically a sport, mixed martial arts, just as football is a sport, just as baseball is a sport. And the UFC is like the NFL. Uh, the UFC is like the NFL as a league. It's like the MLB, the NBA, stuff like that. So there are other MMA promotions in the world. The UFC is kind of the, they've somewhat, I wouldn't say they've monopolized because that's not the key term, but they have reached such a level like the NFL where they can even promote lesser leagues. Like they, uh, the PFL runs on the same network 
as the uh, UFC does on ESPN. And the PFL, which is called the Professional Fighters League, merged with Bellator, another MMA organization, and they're going to be basically called Bellator and PFL, put on their own events, but they're under one ownership, one management, such as how Vince McMahon purchased WCW when he owned the WWF, if I got any wrestling fans out there, and announced today was that the PFL and Bellator will be doing a champion versus champion. So they're taking the champions from the PFL and the champions of Bellator, they've merged together, and they're going to be fighting to crown super champions, if you will. And that was announced today, and there's... um. Some very interesting fight announcements. By the way, this is going down February 24th in Saudi Arabia. Very fun. Uh, some notable fighters fight on there are Biggio Ali Walsh will be making his professional MMA debut against Chris Morris. Biggio Ali Walsh is the grandson or the great-grandson, I believe. It's either grandson or great-grandson. I'm pretty sure it's great-grandson of the legendary Muhammad Ali, and he has had an amazing amateur career, had an amazing boxing career, yet to lose in amateur in the amateur realm, and he makes his professional MMA debut on the undercard. Also on the undercard, Clarissa Shields will be taking on Kelsey DeSantis. Clarissa Shields, notable boxer in the w- women's realm, very popular there, won some world titles. Kind of kind of iffy in the MMA aspect, you know, getting taken down a lot has kind of been her Achilles heel, if you will, and that happens a lot with boxers when they try and transition into MMA. And you rarely see MMA fighters transition into boxing. I mean, we've seen Conor McGregor do it. He looked very well against Floyd Mayweather. We point out Tyron Woodley taking on Jake Paul. That is just such an odd scenario. Um, but you know, she's done decent, so we'll see how she does in this one. But let's get to all of our big championship fights that everyone's talking about. Um, so for starters, you have Jesus Pinedo, who won the featherweight PFL championship. That was an absolute upset. He was a massive underdog throughout the whole playoffs. He wasn't even supposed to be there because the, the PFL runs a season, by the way, you know, similar to professional sports. Meanwhile, UFC just has year-round events like WWE. The PFL does a season every every few months. And Jesus Pineda, crazy upset, became the champion. He will take on uh, Bellator champion Patricio Pitbull. Dude is an absolute killer. He's fought Michael Chandler of the UFC. If anyone knows who he is, this guy is very talented. That's going to be a fun matchup. In the welterweight realm, Magomed Magomed Karimov will be taking on Jason Jackson. Jason Jackson recently upset someone to win the welterweight championship. I can't recall who. I think it was another Russian fighter, if I'm thinking correctly. Um, honestly, honestly, I don't follow. I don't follow the Bell- Bellator enough to know know about it. But uh, Magomed Magomed Karidov, an amazing Russian name, by the way. Double Magomeds added in a little Karimov on the end. He is undefeated. He is amazing. That should be a fun one. In the co-main event of the evening, a middleweight championship bout between Impa Consagana, the man who was knocked out with a spinning ninja back kick by Joaquin Buckley in the UFC in 2020, left the company, or he didn't leave the company, he got fired from the company, they did not resign his contract, struggled in the UFC, goes into the PFL, works his way up, wins the middleweight championship. Absolutely amazing story from Impa Consagana. You just can't help but love the guy. He will take on Johnny Eblen, undefeated middleweight in the uh, Bellator realm. And Johnny Eblen actually trains with Sean Strickland, your current middleweight champion, who fights this upcoming Saturday at UFC 270. So he is very, very legit. And in the main event, a heavyweight matchup between Henan Ferreira and Ryan Bader. Henan Ferreira, uh, very notable for winning the heavyweight uh, championship in the PFL because he's in talks to fight... 
Francis Ngannou when he finally does an MMA fight. Of course, recent news uh, for uh, Francis Ngannou, he'll be taking on Anthony Joshua, a very popular boxer, in uh, sometime coming up March, the summer, I don't know, sometime later in the year, you're going to be seeing Francis Ngannou take on Anthony Joshua, which is going to be special. Headed for our opponent, Ryan Bader, your Bellator heavyweight champion, fought in the UFC. He's fought in Daniel Cormier. He's from the Ultimate Fighter. I'm pretty sure he's a coach on the Ultimate Fighter. He is an absolute MMA legend. Also on the main card, but some of some lesser-known fights, Clay Collard, UFC veteran, will be taking on AJ McKee, former featherweight champion for Bellator. That's a super fun matchup. Tiago Santos and real well Romero will be having a light heavyweight bout. Of course, for any UFC fans, we know Tiago Santos, former fighter, took John Jones to a split decision for the light heavyweight championship back in 2019. And Yoel Romero, of course, put on one of the most boring UFC fights of all time against Israel Adesanya, both those men nearing the end of their careers. And another heavyweight matchup between Bruno Capeloza of the PFL and Vadim Nemkov of the, what is it, of Bellator. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure Vadim is a champion in heavyweight. I don't think, I don't know if he is. Maybe he lost the belt. I I can't honestly say. I I maybe should have researched a bit, but at the same time, this was just a fun announcement. You you like seeing promotions try and do events as big as the UFC does, and so I respect them for trying, even if this probably isn't going to get as much recognition. Uh, There's not that many big names, and if they charge any money for this, which they will, because that's just how the world works, it will probably not make a lot, because uh, no one really likes to pay for stuff anymore. Even the UFC has gotten a little stingy with their prices, leading some people to uh, legally stream. Not me. No, 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 not me. I'm a good good boy, Dana White. I'm a good boy. Sponsor me, Dana White. Let's get over to the UFC realm, because we've gotten some interesting fights made over the last few days. Um, Very notably, I can't recall if I talked about it. I don't think I did. Um... How many days ago was this? So Monday, Tuesday. I I don't think I talked about it, but Dana White made some movements in the UFC world. So, of course, after I uh, finished recording the last episode of the Surprise Jab Podcast, episode 56, it was announced that Davis and Figueredo will be taking on Cody Garbrandt at UFC 300 on the prelims, obviously. And this is a massive matchup. Davis and Figueredo was supposed to take on Cody Garbrandt. At uh wow, way back in November of 2020, they were supposed to fight before an illness, I believe, took out Cody Garbrandt of that bout. But yes, they're going down. It's going down at bantamweight. Devin Figueredo currently ranked number eight. Cody Garbrandt coming off a nice KO of Brian Kelher. That's gonna be a fun one. The main event of UFC Atlantic City, March 30th, going down in Atlantic City, New Jersey, at 170 pounds. Top 10 welterweights Sean Brady and Vicente Luque will be going to battle. Gonna be an absolute fun matchup there. Uh, also on there, of course, is Man of Fiora and Aaron Blanchfield. I I feel like that should probably be the main event. That's one of the rare rare cases where I think a woman's fight should be the main event. I rarely say that, so that's how good you should know Man of Fiora and Aaron Blanchfield are. But Sean Brady and Vicente Luque, very much happy to be seeing them fighting. Vicente Luque, of course, had a comeback fight against Rafael Dos Anjos after his life nearly ended the year before with a brain bleed. Sean Brady bounced back after his first career loss to Bilal Muhammad in 2022. He destroyed Calvin Gastelum at the uh, final or second to last fight night of 2022. And lastly, on Dana White's big announcement he did, I believe, Friday night, uh, the main event of UFC Vegas 88, March 16th, will be tied to Ivasa and Marcin Tibera, two top 15 
2018 heavyweights. Going to be a fun one there. A big bounce back fight for Tai Tuivasa, who, man, after after knocking out Derek Lewis, you know, it's been a steady, steady decline. Of course, got TKO'd by Cyril Gaon, and got knocked out in 30 seconds by Sergey Pavlovich, then took a lot of the year off, and then unfortunately got finished by Alexander Volkov. But this is a winnable fight against Marcin Tibera, who just got destroyed by Tom Aspinall. Other fights announced. Uh, Mohamed Usman will be taking on Chris Barnett at UFC Vegas 89, March 23rd. Chris Barnett, a uh, lovable, lovable fighter. Of course, he's spinning back kicked. Uh, what's his name? Gian Vliante at UFC 268 back in November 2021, which propelled him to stardom. He's a fun, likable character. We love to watch him fight. And Mohamed Usman, of course, the winner of season 30, I believe it was, of The Ultimate Fighter. I think I think it was the season that Muhammad Usman won. Of course, he is the younger brother of Kamaru Usman. Yet to lose in the UFC, he has been doing pretty good, pretty good. But, you know, nothing too exciting out of him, I will say that. Also announced today, Amanda Limos was supposed to take on undefeated Tatiana Suarez in a top five UFC women's strawweight bout at UFC 298, February 17th. Um, unfortunately, Tatiana Suarez is out with an injury. In steps Mackenzie Dern looking to bounce back after her TKO loss to Jessica Andrade last year. Uh, this should be a fun one. Mackenzie Dern uh, might be outclassed in this one. Good bounce back fight for Amanda Limos. That should be a fun one on the prelims or opening up the main card. Last Lastly, another fight announcement made was Kenny Inchukwu taking on Ovin St. Pru at UFC Vegas 88, March 16th. Uh, Kennedy, Kennedy Inchukwu was just in the top 15 before getting knocked out by Dustin Jacoby last year. Very shocking, very sad. I thought Kennedy would become a top, top 10 guy. He unfortunately got knocked out, but he gets a bounce back opportunity against the legend Ovens St. Prue. I mean, who doesn't love Ovens St. Prue? Still doing this, still getting it done. I don't know how it's going to go for him at heavyweight. I mean, I don't think he's yet to win a bout at heavyweight. It's been a rough run for him as of late, but I wish him nothing, nothing but the best because I genuinely think Ovens St. Prue is a legend and should, should make the UFC. I don't know if he's going to make the Hall of Fame. I think he fought for a belt. Honestly, honestly, if I'm being honest, I can't recall. A lot, a lot of stuff happens. A lot of stuff happens. And the last big MMA note that I will touch on is that the UFC's Saudi Arabia uh, card, which is supposed to go down March 2nd, Saudi Arabia, has been shifted to June. It's going down in the summertime as the Saudi Arabians, their rich billionaire oil tycoons, said the card wasn't good enough for them. Move it. So the UFC did. I just I don't know what to make of that. I find that pretty uh pretty funny that they can just push push them around, but at the same time they just make money and throw money. It's it's pretty immaculate. So that card will be going down probably as a pay per view in June, most likely headlined by Islam Makachev and Justin Gaethje. I believe that is that is a rumor circling around. But yes, a lot of fun fights going down in the UFC. Transitioning out of the MMA world into the basketball and hockey world, where you're going to do our check-in on the leagues. We used to do check-ins every episode, but I figured we'd do it just once a week since there weren't much changes happening between our Monday or Tuesday episode and our Thursday or Friday episode. So let's do a little check-in with the NBA and NHL, see what's popping with them, because honestly, I don't know what's going on. So looking at the NBA, I mean, first starters, top team in the league still. 
schedule is the Boston Celtics. Top of the Eastern Conference, 31-9 record, 19-0 at home. My goodness, that's incredible. A little two-game win streak for them. They have been playing amazing. Jason Tatum, I mean, this kid is just unreal. I'm not even kidding anymore. It's been the league a minute. Derek White's a baller. Al Horford's a baller. Chris Depp's for saying as well. It's just an absolute amazing team. Number two, the Milwaukee Bucks, 28-12 record. They are on a little three-game win streak. Damian Lillard and Giannis Antetokounmpo, such a deadly, deadly duo. 76ers in third with a 25-13 record. They're on a little two-game win streak. The Cavaliers, 23-15 record, five-game win streak. 7-3 and three their last 10, not too bad. I mean, Donovan Mitchell and Darius Garland, an amazing duo, Evan Mobley. Uh, this team's young, it's fun, and I wish them nothing but the best. Heat, 24-16, and 16, all little three-game win streak, are in the fifth spot currently. Moving down to 10, Nets are sadly on a little three-game losing streak as 16-23 and 23 record. And towards the bottom, teams without double-digit wins, the Hornets in 13th with an 8-29 and 29 record on a five-game losing streak. Wizards, 7-32, and 32, they're coming off loss. And the Detroit Pistons, 4-36, and 36, won their fourth game the other night. Wow. Tale of two seasons between the Celtics and the Pistons. I, I mean, that is just—it's pretty com. It's pretty comical looking at uh, looking at this Pistons season because they have a terrible, terrible team. My favorite news to look at every single week, as the Minnesota Timberwolves are still the best team in the Western Conference, 28-11 and 11 record. They're 16-2 and two at home. They're actually on a little two-game win streak right now. They do have the Thunder and Nuggets hot on their tail. Thunder are 27-12. and 12. They're in second game behind the Timberwolves and the Nuggets with a 28-13 and 13 record. Same number of wins, but they have two more losses than us, giving us a game edge over them. They're on a little two-game win streak. Clippers are in fourth, Kings in fifth, Mavericks in sixth, Pelicans in seventh, Suns in eighth, the Jazz in ninth with a 22 and 20 record, nine and one their last ten. They're on a six-game win streak, looking very good. Lakers with a 20 and 21 record, they're in tenth. Not the best season for LeBron's squad, but maybe if they tank, they can pick up a uh, Bronny Jr. But I don't think Bronny James. I don't think Bronny James is getting drafted this year. Or if he is. It's it's not going to make sense. LeBron's son is good, but he's definitely being elevated because he's LeBron's son. So I wish him nothing but the best. Um, worst teams in the West. You got the Grizzlies, 15-25 and 25 record, which isn't actually the worst. I mean, Trailblazers, 10-29 and 29 and 14th, their worst. Four-game losing streak for them. And the worst team in the uh, Eastern, or not though, the Western Conference, if I can get my conferences right. And second, the worst team in the league is the, the San Antonio Spurs. 7 and 32 record. They are 3 and 7 their last 10 on a two game losing streak. Yeah, it hasn't been that pretty for this team. It has not been pretty at all for the um Spurs with Victor Wembanyama, the number 1 pick of the past draft. Top leaders in the NBA for points per game, Joel Embiid is your number 1 scorer at the moment, 34.9 points per game in second is Luka Doncic with 33.6 and in third Shy Gilgis Alexander of the Thunder also averaging 31.3 rebounds per game also goes to DeMontis Sabonis 12.7 points per game I mean come on come on so impressive from DeMontis Rudy Gobert 12.3 repping the Timberwolves Anthony Davis 12.2 actually Jokers at 11.8 that's not too bad Assist per game, Tyrese Halberton of the Indianapolis Pacers, 12.5. And Trey Young, 
10.9. From the Hawks, field goal percentage, Jacob Jacob Potel of the Raptors is shooting a 68.5%. That is pretty impressive. And uh, your three-point leader uh, for the year, Stephen Curry, has 167. Next closest is Luka with 135. Now that is very, very impressive. And the last uh, stat I just want to touch on is blocks per game. Victor Wembanyama of the Spurs, your number one pick in the past draft, the seven-foot monster, is averaging 3.2 blocks per game. I mean, that is ridiculous. That's ridiculously impressive to average three, three, three blocks a game. Incredible stuff from uh, from the NBA. But uh, yeah, well, well, we are willing to move to move. Past it if I'm being honest you know it's still early in the season I mean there's just so much so much happens in the time span of a few months I mean think about the NFL season is just about coming to an end and the NBA and NHL are not even halfway through it's pretty amazing and speaking of the NHL let's check in on those boys checking out the Eastern Conference is this your number one team in the league no your number two team in the league the best team in the Eastern Conference and top of your Atlantic division is the Boston Bruins 61 points for them they have a 26 8 9 record a little two-game win streak for them they've been playing pretty good puck excellent stuff from the Boston boys second in the Atlantic division is the Panthers 27 13 and three record they have 57 points of course if no one knows I bring it up every week in the NHL if you win a game you get a point you get two points sorry if you win a game you get two points if you lose in overtime you get one point so that's kind of how their point system works to determine uh who's the top and who's at the bottom your record does matter I mean but usually the best teams get uh, more wins so they have more points if that makes sense um bottom of the Atlantic Division might be bottom of the Eastern no actually not um bottom of the Atlantic Division second to worst team in the East is the Senators from oh my gosh where 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 are the Senators from they no Edmonton Oilers um gosh this kills me this kills me that Ottawa Senators gosh so many so many uh Canadian teams in the NHL sometimes I forget they have a 15 and 23 record they are at the bot. Uh, moving on to the Metropolitan Division, also in the Eastern Conference, the New York Rangers, 27-13-2 record. They got 56 points. They've been playing good puck. Uh, Flyers, 24-14-6 record. They're on a little four-game heater themselves. Bottom of the Eastern Conference, um, they're actually better points-wise than the Senators. Record-wise, 14-21-9. They have won less games than the Senators. So same thing about that. They have nine overtime losses. Senators have zero, which actually does give them a seven-point edge over the Senators. How about that? Moving into the Western Conference, um, your worst team in the league actually belongs to the Pacific Division's Sharks. 10-31-3 record, 1-9 their last 10. They have a minus 93-point differential. They only have, how many points do they have? They only have 23 points. That is very sad. I'm sorry, Sharks. You guys suck. Ducks also near the bottom with a 15 and 27 and 1 record. Not too good for them. The Edmonton Oilers are on a 10-game winning streak, 23-15 and 1 record. They've worked their way up to, I mean, they worked their way up from the bottom. I mean, they were 13 and 15, completely changed their whole season around. Connor McDavid, Leon Drysdale cannot get enough of those two. 
Um, I don't know exactly what position they're in, but I do know their uh, approach in the top. Canucks, top team in the NHL with a 29-11-4 record, boasting 62 points and a plus 54-point differential. 7-2-1, their last 10 impressive stuff. Golden Knights, 25-14-5. They got 55 points. Not too shabby, but they have gone 4-6, their last 10. Moving to the Central Division, where my Minnesota Wild play, they are second to last in their division. 18-20-5 record, minus 18-point differential, only 41 points to show. We're not the bottom, though. My neighbor, Chicago Blackhawks, are 12-29-2, with only 26 points on a three-game losing streak. Yikes. Very much yikes. Jets are top of the Central Division, and one of only, what is it? One of only three teams, so they're actually third in the league. Um, Jets have 60 points with a 28-10-4 record. Uh, plus 42-point differential isn't too bad. They've got 8-1-1 one, one their last 10. They've been playing pretty good, but a long season to go. Long season to go for these NHL teams, for the NHL players. And I mean, looking at, let me just read you some of the top players. According, according to Google, according to the NHL's Google, here are the top 10 players. Like, or the top 10 players they list. So this must be by popularity. Alexander Ovechkin of the Capitals is the number one listed player when you just type in NHL standings. Connor McDavid's number two of the Oilers. Austin Matthews of the Maple Leafs. Sidney Crosby of the Penguins, legend. Uh, Patrick Kane, now on the Red Wings, absolute legend. Jack Hughes of the Devils. He must be a young up-and-comer. I haven't heard of him. Cole Caulfield of the Canadians. Never heard of him. He must be new. William Nylander of the Maple Leafs. I know him oddly. Quinn Hughes of the Canucks. He's a young boy. Marc-Andre Fleury, goaltender for the Wild. I know about Mark. And the number 10 guy, when you just type in NHL standards, is Jiraj Slarvoski, right wing for the Canadians. I find it pretty fascinating that those are some of the players that are listed because I honestly didn't know about some of those guys, personally. But uh, that's just me. And I don't know too much about the NHL, but I still like to check in on them here and now. Moving from uh, MMA into NBA into NHL to the movie realm. That is right, of course. I feel like I watch a movie in some regard every week, and I actually did watch... Uh, I've, I've watched two, three TV shows, actually, and I've watched one movie, and the movie I watched was actually um, The Proposal, The Proposal with um, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Sandra Bullock, and I was very surprised at how much I enjoyed this movie. It had a little bit of a plot twist in it, which I find pretty, I'm not going to spoil anything, um, but it did have a little plot twist, oddly, like r- right around the mid- beginning of the movie once you figure out the premise, but basically the premise is Sandra Bullock is this uppity boss, everyone hates her, Ryan Reynolds is her uh, personal assistant slash intern slash wants to level up in the company, and you find out that uh, early on in the movie, like in the opening scenes, that um, she's Canadian and she's going to get deported. And she brings in Ryan Reynolds. Uh, her, bo- the, her bosses are telling her this. And she's basically like, oh, I'm actually marrying him. So she tells him, if you marry me, uh, actually marry me to avoid her deportation, then uh, you can become the uh, top whatever. Her, his script can be read or something. Uh, but uh, yes, a very funny movie. Very good. Betty whites in it which i love you see um the mother of uh the mother from elf is in it of course uh buddy's like adopted mom or whatever you know the mom you know married to uh buddy's dad she's in this betty white and the dad ryan reynolds dad in the movie is a notable actor whose name i just cannot who i just name i don't know 
name I do not know. It got a 6.7 out of 10 on IMDb. Um, it's just your typical rom-com. It's funny. It's fun. I very much enjoyed it. Um, what's his name? Craig T. Nelson. He stars in the movie. You also have, um, who is it? Oh my gosh. Oscar Nunez. Uh, he plays Ramon Oscar from The Office. He's a super fun uh, character. And, and actually, Maylene Ackerman, she's a notable actress. She also stars in the movie. There's, there's actually a pretty good cast for the movie. I recommend the proposal to you know any couples that want to watch a little movie or just anyone on their own. It's like, hey, I want to watch a rom-com. Don't ask me why I did it. I just felt in the mood. But that was the movie. That was a movie that I watched um, recently, but the TV show that I have been watching that actually wrapped up Friday was Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Of course, the MonsterVerse film starring Kurt Russell and Wyatt Russell, an absolutely amazing film. Actually, a 7 out of 10 on IMDb and an 84% on Rotten Tomatoes, which you should very much take note of because usually the giant monster movies, um, you even look at your Transformers, your Marvel movies, they don't get good Rotten Tomatoes IMDb scores. This actually did. You know, it's a, it's a very good film. The season finale was uh, the probably one of the best episodes, probably one of the better episodes. Um... But, I mean, it kind of ends, you know, with, like, a segue into the next film. Because this kind of takes place between Godzilla... Uh, it kinda, I think it takes place after, right before Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And, it's, I don't even know. It's between Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and Godzilla versus Kong. But it's just another show right before Godzilla times Kong. I think the new Empire comes out. In uh, May, they moved up the release date from September to May. Very much blessed we get that show sooner. Let me just see if I can read you the episode guide. Yeah, so for episode 10, this is what, um, I don't know if I should really read it, but this is basically what happens. Okay, spoiler alert if you're going to watch this. I don't really know anyone who would watch it. But uh, and and basically in the year 2015, uh, Kiko, who's the main, he's the main guy. He's one of the main guys. He's um Randa's son. He's explained to Kate, another one of the Randas. Uh, she. Oh my gosh, I'd have to explain the whole show. But if you get it, you would get it. Um, but basically, they uh rigged a Titan out from Operation Hourglass. Uh, they uh sent a distress signal from the Hollow Earth, which is where they all ended up. They ended up in the Hollow Earth. Um, they all reunite, and Shaw and May, they all um join back together. It's a very, very emotional scene. Um, Kiko, you know, she went in there way back. You thought she died in episode one. It turns out she's alive. Um, she learns that decades have passed. You know, she fell down there in like 62, and now it's 2015, and she has an age. Pretty, pretty weird stuff. Um, Sean Kiko, they uh, basically connect this vehicle to get out, and then this monster tries to attack them, one of the Titans. Um, and basically, Shaw, who's played by Kurt Russell, he admits his last love for her, and uh, as they're uh, trying to escape, he manages to uh, get out, and, you know, he sacrifices himself. Um, and Godzilla appears in the final movie. It makes no sense timeline-wise why Godzilla's down there, but, you know, it kind of does. Um, or kind of, I don't even know. It's just for fun. Uh, but, you know, Godzilla's in there, and then they come out, and you figure out it's been two years, and they're at an Apex Cybernetics research station on Skull Island. Apex Cybernetics, notable from the Godzilla vs. Kong film, so that's kind of a connection point. And Hiroshi, who's basically one of the main characters, you figure out that he's been working to make this, uh, basically this vehicle that uh, can bring you down to Hollow Earth and bring you back up. And, you know, that's part of Godzilla vs. Kong. 
And basically, when everyone returns from the center of the earth, they learn two years have passed, and, you know, everyone's teaming up together now. And as they're all evacuating the island, you see Kong pulling up, and he basically shows up and is all like, what's up? My name's Kong. No, they just show him for a brief second, but... It was okay. I personally think the IMDb was a bit generous. They had so many filler episodes. We do not need a second season. This kind of just explains the background of Monarch. If anything, this just adds a couple more layers to its story. I mean, I'm certainly not really going to uh, be missing this show. But at the same time, it's kind of like, okay, this isn't this isn't too bad. I don't really mind this. It's it's good to watch in the uh, in the meantime, uh, another series that I have been watching, of course, has been Modern Family. I think I'm on season nine now, but, um, you know, that's been pretty fun. I might do a little uh, review of that once I'm completely done with it. But the other show that I've been watching is F-Boy Island. I absolutely am a sucker for reality TV dating shows. I personally find it absolutely hilarious. And a new season had came out this past summer, which I didn't even know about. So, uh, you know, I had to get on that. It was, uh, it's super funny. The whole premise of F-Boy Island is that there's three girls, 21 guys, and the guys are either a nice guy or an F-boy. And every week, the each woman votes off three, a man each. So three guys get eliminated every week. And you figure out if they're F-boys or nice guys. And it is just the, you know, it's obviously terrible. It's obviously terrible. Uh, but I personally find it hilarious. And I get sucked into it. I rock with the characters. And then you go and look at the guy's social media in real life. And you're like, these are real people. This is absolutely crazy. They're not just reality TV stars. And, you know, I binge-watched the third season in, like, three three days or something. So, I mean, I can just burn through that show. But, uh, you know, honestly, I hope they make another series. I, hear, I heard they're making an F-Girl, where it's, like, three dudes and 21 guys, girls that are, like, F-Girls or nice girls. I have no idea. It's on the CW now. How about that? The CW, the Ma HBO Max dropped it. The CW picked it up trying to get their ratings up. But, man, I hope they make more seasons. I doubt they will. It doesn't get, like, a lot of views. It doesn't get good ratings. I mean, it, how could it get good views or ratings? It's not It's not meant to be a good show, but it's the, that type of, uh, 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 what am I trying to think? Like, the audience is what gives them the ability to buy a private island and fly everyone down and host them for the number of days. But who knows? Who cares? It's just dumb reality TV. But I, I personally do find it. I personally do find it a very, very... Very funny. Um, what should we talk about next, ladies and gentlemen? Because I got a couple of topics, a couple of uh, the main the main stuff that we'll be getting into here. So I say that we go over my fantasy football league that I started with my uh, three friends. Basically, it's the same premise as normal fantasy football, but for the playoffs. Uh, I mean, just pretty straightforward uh i put all of our all the active players in a spreadsheet for the uh for the uh, that were in the playoffs and we all draft our teams me and three of my buddies and whoever you drafted they're your players throughout the whole playoffs so you know if the, your team gets eliminated you can't get any more uh pl what is it points from that player so i figured it'd be pretty interesting to look at all uh, four of our teams kind of point out some interesting things before we get into which is what I will get into next, which is the UFC, uh, no, the wild card, our wild card uh, recap of all the games. But uh, look at my buddy Tyler, you know, he picked up Lamar Jackson, easy pick, because we did, so how we did is we did two QBs, three running backs, 
three wide receivers, a tight end, a defense, and a kicker. And you also had an injury player. I don't know how that injury player is going to come into effect. But um, <laughs> Lamar, zero points uh, in the first round as he was on a bye. Uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see if they can get past the Texans in the divisional round uh, playoff Lamar and season Lamar. Kind of different. Uh, he had Jordan Love, who got him 22.87 fantasy points. Jordan Love, of course, leading the Packers past the Cowboys. going to be fun to talk about that. His running backs, Kyrene Williams, of only getting him eight points. Kyrene Williams did not show up for that Lions game, so uh, he won't get any more points from that player. Jameer Gibbs, of course, on his team, good add there. James Cook. James Cook was pretty stagnant for it being a very cold game. I figured they'd be running the ball a lot in... Um, the Bills and Steelers game, that wasn't really the case. He had C.D. Lamb as well, who got 20.5 fantasy points, but C.D. can't get any more points, you know, and honestly, I don't know what the Cowboys are going to do. Also picked up Brandon Ayuk. He should be a notable add for the as the 49ers take on the Packers in the divisional round. Also had Devontae Smith, and with A.J. Brown absent for some goodness knows me reason, A.J. Brown stepped up big. 22.8 fantasy points. We'll begin to all of his actual stats later on when we look at... Um, the stat, the box scores for all the games. Had Travis Kelsey, who put up a 14.1 fantasy performance. Rams defense, putting up seven points. Defenses were harder to grade. I was kind of lenient on how how defenses get points in this, but um, won't get any more points than them because the Rams lost to the Lions by one point. And Harrison Bucker was actually the best kicker, I believe, out of all the kickers uh, in the wild card with 14 fantasy points. Very impressive stuff from Harrison Bucker as the Chiefs will move on to take on the Bills in what is slowly becoming a recurring uh, playoff matchup. Looking at my buddy Landon's team, he had Dak Prescott who put up 28.62 fantasy points, but will sadly not be playing anymore. His second QB is Patty Mahomes who put up 18.48 fantasy performance uh, points, um, but they won't be at home. They have to travel to uh, to the Bills in the divisional round. He also has Gus Edwards as one of his running backs. He will uh, be playing next round for the Ravens. Tony Pollard was one of his running backs, 21.5 fantasy points for Tony, but sadly Tony will not be playing anymore as the Cowboys have been eliminated. Who knows what will happen to Mike McCarthy. Aaron Jones is his third and final running back who put up 32.1 fantasy points. Definitely one of the best running backs of the whole wild card. I mean, Aaron Jones was an absolute stud, punching in from the goal line, just cutting through the Cowboys' run D. It was crazy to see. Rasheed Rasheed Rice, 27 points for the Chiefs' number one wide receiver. He is a young up-and-coming star. We'll see you in the divisional round. Stephon Diggs, 12.2 fantasy points. Did not do much. Stefan Diggs did not do much. 12.2 points. You know, he uh, he was trying to do as much as he could. Amari Cooper, 9.9. Very disappointing performance from the Browns against the Texans as they're eliminated. So no more points from him. And the best tight end of the action. Probably, probably the best fantasy performance, if I'm being honest. Jake Ferguson, three touchdowns, 37.3 fantasy points. It's a shame he won't be around next round. It is definitely a shame. Bills defense, 14 fantasy points, and the Tyler Bass, the kicker for, for the Bills, 5 fantasy points. They'll both be moving on. Uh, Landon put up the most with 206.1 points in the wild card. Of course, points will translate uh, every week. Tyler put up 138.47. As we get to my team, I only put up 106.82 
But at the same time, I mean, I have much more players in the divisional round and moving forward, hopefully. Uh, My QB, which was the top QB, might I add, uh, Josh Allen, 33.52 fantasy points. I think he had four touchdowns. I mean, he was absolutely dealing. My second QB, Jalen Hurts, only putting up 14.5 fantasy points, an absolute letdown from the Eagles. My running back, Isaiah Pacheco, 15.8 fantasy points. Dave Montgomery, my other running back, 13.8. I'll see both of them in the next round. And a letdown, a huge letdown, as Jerome Ford only put up 7.2 fantasy points as the Browns got eliminated. They leaned on Kareem Hunt a lot more than I thought they would. My number one wide receiver, Amon Ross St. Brown, putting up a nice 18. I'll see the Lions against the Bucks in the next round. My other wide receivers, Debo Samuel and Zay Flowers. Those are going to be some fun ones. My tight end is George Kittle. My defense is the Ravens. And my kicker was Brandon Aubrey, who only put up four fantasy points. Wow. Cowboys, probably the biggest letdown of the whole playoffs. And then we get to my buddy, Dane's team, who unfortunately has the worst team as he only has three active players left. It is pretty ridiculous. Matthew Stafford, 22.68 points for him. Couldn't do enough against his former Lions team. Joe Flacco, 13.58. Also, not not coming in as playoff Flacco. He uh, looked average. His running back, though, is Christian McCaffrey. He'll be useful. Raheem Mostert, only putting up four fantasy points. Dolphins were held in check. DeAndre Swift, 10.6. Held in check by that Buccaneers run D. Tyreek Hill, 17.2 fantasy points. Even though he had a big touchdown catch, he won't be moving on. Puka Nakua, the best wide receiver, 32.9 fantasy points. It's a shame we don't get to see any more Puka the rest of the year. He is an absolute stud. His third wide receiver, Mike Evans, only had 7.8, but he'll have some time to shine against the Lions secondary. David Njoku, 16.3 fantasy points. Very good, David Njoku. He'll remain a top tight end in the league for a while now. Browns D got him six points. Justin Tucker on a bye for the kicker position. A lot of interesting points. A lot of interesting points to come for our little fantasy realm as we hold it. Um, We did do this weird injury player where if a player gets injured, you can put them in, such as for my friend Tyler. Uh, A.J. Brown announced that he will be out for their game, so we allowed him to put Devontae Smith in, who was his um, backup wide receiver, his injury player. But, um, you know, I for for Landon, he had Devin Achane, who's out. I have Jaden Reed, but I don't have any wide receivers who are currently out. Plus, Jaden Reed does nothing. But the thing is, is Dane has Nico Collins on his bench. Dane also has only three more players who are active. So I'm debating being nice and letting Nico Collins come in for the divisional round for him. I might bring that up to him. You're finding this out live on the podcast, actually, as I'm saying it, about what uh, what, what decisions I'll make when it comes to this. Because I guess I'm the commissioner of this little league. I guess that's kind of fun. I'm a little commissioner. I feel like I'm always the commissioner of these leagues. But hey, you know what? That's what that's that's what happens when you set everything up. When you set everything up, you become the commissioner. Alrighty, let's get past fantasy football and let's get into actual football as we dive into the NFL wildcard. We had so many, so many fun games this past weekend. I mean, I will, I don't know if I watched all of them. I caught a majority of them. You know, some it was like, yeah, hey, I'll watch a bit of them. I'll watch a bit of the game here and there, here and there. But uh, yeah, let's go over everything that transpired. So we kicked off 
We kicked off with uh, the Texans and the Browns. And what do you know? I did not predict this game correctly at all. In fact, I went three and three. Okay, I, I was I was not too hot for this game. The Texans are number four seed. The Browns at the five. Um, wow, just wow is all I can say. Uh, Joe Flacco, you know, not really, not really doing too much. Typical Joe Flacco game. C.J. Stroud was looking like a stud, though. Uh, Forty-five to fourteen, Texans win by thirty-one points. And I mean, we kick off the game. I mean, first quarter, it's ten-seven. You know, Cream Hunt punched in a touchdown. Nico Collins caught a touchdown. It was going pretty good. Second quarter, Cream Hunt catches a pass from Joe Flacco. It's that fourteen to ten. Uh, Browns are up. And then in the rest of the second quarter, I mean, Brevin Jordan caught a ridiculous 76-yard touchdown pass from C.J. Stroud. And then Dalton Schultz caught a 37-yard touchdown pass. And before we knew it, before you even knew it, it was 21 to 10, 24 to 10 at halftime. And, you know, we're kind of like, you know what, the Browns, they can rally. And they just never did. All right, and in the third quarter, Steven Nelson had an 82-yard pick six, and Christian Harris had a 36-yard pick six on back-to-back drives. Two back-to-back drive pick sixes for the Texans defense. They balled out. A fourth quarter, Devin Singletary touchdown run sealed the deal. I mean, just just an embarrassing, embarrassing performance from the Browns, who, who honestly, they rested all their starters the final week. They, it just felt like that they were going to do good, and this Texans team came to frickin' play. Over four on fourth down, definitely hurt them. The uh, Browns ran 70 total plays to the Texans' 44. Texans' defense also sacked um, Joe Flacco four times. Pretty crazy. Um, Time of possession, 11 more more minutes for the Browns. Those are some fun stats. Um, Pretty even everywhere. I mean, the running game just could not get going for the Browns. Only 56 Rushing yards on the day, but Texans only had 76. Um, The yards per play, I think, is also notable. 8.1 yards per play for the Texans, 4.6 for the Browns. Player stats from this game, Joe Flacco, 307 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. I don't know if the Browns are going to bring him back. I kind of hope they do. You know, I kind of like Joe Flacco. He's a good human. He's a good guy. But, I mean, you know... Just wasn't really what we were looking for today. With 307 yards, a touchdown, two the two picks for both for pick sixes. That's what really sealed the deal. The rushing also so confusing. Jerome Ford gets nine carries for only 17 yards. Cream Hunt had less carries with eight, 26 yards and a touchdown. Nothing was going right for them. Receiving wise, David Njoku, your top guy, seven catches, 93 yards. Other tight end, Harrison Bryant, had four catches for 65 yards. Mari Cooper, four catches, 59 yards. And with the most targets and catches, David Bell with eight at only 54 yards. I don't know what was going on with this team whatsoever. But we'll talk about the Texans because they balled out incredibly. CJ Stroud, 16 for 21, 274 yards, and three touchdowns. Give him Rookie of the Year. I'm sorry, Puka. I'm sorry, but C.J. Stroud just led this Texans team from the depths to not only make the playoffs, but win their first round. I mean, obviously the Ravens is going to be a brutal matchup for them, but still, still incredible. They even brought in Davis Mills to round out the game. That's how big they were up. Devin Singletary, 13 carries for 66 yards and a touchdown. He did his part. Nico Collins, six catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown. When Tank Dell's not in, Nico Collins is the man. Tight end Brevin Jordan, one catch, 76 yards, touchdown. 
insane. Dalton Schultz only had one catch as well, a 37-yard touchdown for him. And, I mean, it's a tough way to end the year, you know. Texans, 11-7. and seven. All right, they're still going, but the Browns will end 11-7. and seven. Um, 11 and 6 in the regular season isn't too bad for this playoff loss. You know, it's it's a doozy. It's a doozy on you. Um, I, you know, I don't know what the Browns should do. I don't know what the Browns should do because this the whole Deshaun Watson thing, whole situation has really messed them up. Um, I personally, you know, I keep drawing forward. You should have Nick Chubb back. That's a great three-man locker room right there, Kareem, Jerome, and Nick Chubb. I uh, really hope you can keep Amari Cooper. He was a stud. David Njoku's a stud. Even Harrison Bryant, he's good. But, um, yeah, I, I, no one really predicted the Texans win. In my family picks league, we all had Browns, all right? And, you know, it's um, all respect to the Texans. All respect to the Texans. They'll play Saturday, January 20th, against the Baltimore Ravens at 3 30 and honestly I think that people are going to sleep on this Texans team because Lamar does have a playoff curse because the Ravens rested all their starters the final week I mean and Texans have been rolling Texans have been absolutely rolling um I don't know exactly what a win streak they're on I I know they won their final game didn't they Texans uh, beat the Colts yes in week 18 of course um did they win in week 17 they did win in week 17 uh, I don't think they won in Week 16. Texans lost to the Browns. Okay, so they're on a little three-game win streak. Momentum's with them. We'll see what happens. Getting into our second, our second game of the playoffs. We had the Dolphins visiting the Chiefs on Saturday, and this was a chilly, cold game. It was brutal, but the Chiefs pulled it all together and win 26-7. to I mean, just an utter collapse from Tua Tagovailoa. I just, oh, I, I felt bad. I felt bad. Shout out to my mom for predicting the closest score out of our family league with 21 to 14. She predicted that for all her games, and that hit three times. 21 to 14, a good common score to pick. But, um, yeah, everyone had the Chiefs win in this. Um, Dolphins, anyone who picked them was kind of just going off of hope. I mean, it was, it was just a one-way traffic. I mean, we start the first quarter off where she Rice catches a touchdown pass. Second quarter, Tyreek Hill had a 53-yard touchdown pass from Tua, and that would be all the scoring they did. Harrison Bucker, from the beginning of the second quarter until the third quarter, hit four field goals. Absolutely amazing. Um, longest was only 32. The other three under 30 yards in uh, the fourth quarter, Isaiah Pacheco would punch in a three-yard touchdown run. So Harrison Bucker, of course, we mentioned he had 14 fantasy points. He was responsible for 14 points for this team. All right, so of the 26 points scored, all right, the 14, 14 of those belonged to Harrison Bucker. Total yards, this is just the Chiefs defense was on lock this game. This Chiefs defense is something very notable to look at when they go to visit Buffalo next weekend. They only allowed 264 yards against the number one offense in the league, the Miami Dolphins. Chiefs putting up 409 total yards. Amazing. Passing yards, Chiefs had more, 262 to 188. Rushing yards, 147 to 76. Yards for play, though, is pretty similar. But, I mean, the first downs, I write, 1 out of 12 on third down for the Dolphins. They only had 13 first downs to 25 for the Chiefs. Very, very notable there. Um, two sacks allowed for the Dolphins. I mean, offensive line for the Chiefs was absolutely prone and amazing. Eight penalties for 62 yards called on the Dolphins. So defense, offense, really got work on that. Uh, time of possession, uh, nine minutes more for the Chiefs, I guess, if you want to look at that. 
to a Tagovailoa, 20 for 39, almost a 50% complete completion percentage, 199 yards, touchdown and pick. I just, you know, for having such a decent season, I mean, to finish 11 and 7 now, Chiefs are currently 12 and 6. It's ew, just rough. Raheem Mostert held to uh, 33 yards on eight of his carries. Devin Achani on six of his carries held to nine yards. Tyree Kill, the only bright spot of this team, five catches, 62 yards, and a touchdown. Man, tough ending of the season for him. Jalen Waddell, only two catches for 31 yards. Chiefs, I mean, Patrick Mahomes, 262 yards and a touchdown. He truly does get better in the playoffs. I mean, come on. We were talking about last week. I talked about some of my buddies. This was the first playoffs without Peyton Manning or Tom Brady since 1998. We're going to be mentioning the Patrick Mahomes statistic. This is the first playoffs without Patrick Mahomes in like 10, 10 or 20 years or something. I mean, Patrick Mahomes performs better in the playoffs. And how about Isaiah Pacheco? 24 carries for 89 yards and a touchdown. Only average 3.7, but the workload he put on was ridiculous. I mean, they ran... I mean, they ran so many, so many run plays. Does it say how many run plays that they, they? I don't think it shows many run plays they yelled, but it was, it was a lot. It was actually, I can just do some math right here. Twenty six, um, thirty three. They ran thirty four run plays. That's pretty impressive. Rasheed Rice, your top wide receiver, eight catches for one hundred thirty yards and a touchdown, a stud. Travis Kelsey, seven catches, seven one yards, making Taylor Swift proud. Other than that, Isaiah Pacheco, McCole Hardman, Clyde edwards Lair, Richie James, Marcus Van Deskelty, and Noah Gray all had one catch. I mean, this was the Rasheed Rice, Travis Kelsey, and uh, Isaiah Pacheco show. I was trying to think who else to include in that. But uh, just for passing, it was pretty much all Travis Kelsey. And shout out to uh, Mike Edwards for getting the interception. Number 21 for the Chiefs. And, oh, man, stuff gets interesting. Stuff really gets interesting, of course, um... We'll be looking at statistics for next week, but uh, the Chiefs and Bills have met a numerous amount of times they uh, in the playoffs and just in the regular season, and it should be fun to see how this year plays out. Bills will be the home team this year, um, but man, I just... Chiefs, still a unit, going to the divisional round again. Nothing but respect for them. For the Dolphins, I don't know what you do. Raheem Mostert might be done. Devin Achane might become the lead back. Um, fun stat though, Tua Tagovailoa has never won a game below 40 degrees, at least in the NFL or in college. We'll have to see about his hometown. I don't know where Tua's from, but that's a pretty unfortunate statistic, Tua. I, uh, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say. Tua did not look like a top, top, uh, top five. He didn't even, he didn't even look like a top 10 QB this weekend. Moving into Sunday, we were supposed to have the Steelers and Bills, but it was moved because the weather was just absolutely crazy. Just for starters, this weekend was so cold. Saturday, I didn't even leave my house. I just stayed in. I watched sports. I made food, played Xbox. Wasn't the most productive, but uh, it was a good time. It was a good time this past weekend. Um, but what we actually did kick off our Sunday with at 3.30 was the Packers visiting the Cowboys. And son of a B-word. Shout out to my mom. For predicting that the Packers would win, she went five and one on her picks. She clearly knows ball. She clearly knows ball. I'll tell you who doesn't know ball. Me, okay. Obviously, I'm a Packers hater, but I mean, Cowboys lose forty-eight to thirty-two. Your number one defense in the league gives up forty-eight points. 
in the wild card to the number seven seed at Green Bay Packers. Green Bay, 10-8 and eight record now on the season. Cowboys will end with a 12-6 and six record. And the Packers have come up from the depths. I mean, they weren't even supposed to make the playoffs. And here they are. They rally. Impressive stuff. And I had to watch this with a Packers fan. Um, we all had bets going on this game, too. No bets hit. Betting was terrible this weekend. Definitely, definitely remembered. I, I put $25 in the underdog this weekend, you know, just to do some bets for every wild card game. Didn't hit on a single bet. Reminds me why I don't sports bet. No more bets. The rest of the playoffs for Zachary. Scoring summary. I mean, from the get-go, this was out of control. This was out of control. I mean, we kick off the first quarter. Aaron Jones punches it a touchdown. It's 7-0 after the first quarter. Okay, you're kind of like, okay. Nothing too bad. Nothing too bad. The next three touchdowns go to the Packers. I mean, Jake Ferguson caught a one-yard touchdown pass to end the first half. But going into halftime, 27-7. to 27-7. The Packers are winning. And, I mean, Aaron Jones already had two touchdown run-ins. I mean, Darnell Savage had a pick six. And Dontavian Wicks caught a touchdown pass from Jordan Love. I mean, it was ridiculous. Third quarter, um, a field goal from Brandon Aubrey kicks us off, and then Aaron Jones punched in his third touchdown of the day. Tony Pollard would then uh, get a one-yard touchdown run, and Brandon Aubrey would miss the extra point. Absolutely crazy. Luke Musgrave, in um, a minute and a half, the Packers marched on the field, and Luke Musgrave catches a 38-yard touchdown pass from Jordan Love, making it 41-16 to heading into the fourth quarter, and I mean... Kicking off the fourth quarter, Romeo Dobbs, three-yard touchdown pass from Jordan Love. It just went from bad to worse. Um, in the final six minutes, Jake Ferguson catches two touchdown passes from uh, Dak Prescott, you know, to make it 48-32. to 32. Um, So, I mean, it was it was just, it just wasn't pretty. It was not pretty at all. And this, it, it, what is even more of a shame is that the Cowboys, you know, had 510 yards of total offense. Okay, Packers put up 415, but the Cowboys put up 510. That should say something about the Green Bay defense when they take on the 49ers. The only reason the Cowboys lost this was because of their defense. It was because of their defense. They got outran too, but only by 20 yards. Um, first downs, Cowboys had more. Um, they, the Cowboys were actually pretty efficient. I mean, they called 89 plays to 54, though. They were out there a lot. Dak got sacked four times. Jordan Love got sacked zero times. Um, and the two picks, two picks were also very brutal. Similar time of possession, though. I do find that pretty notable. Jordan Love, future star. I'll give the Packers their credit. Uh, Jordan Love, 16 for 21, 272 yards and three touchdowns. Those stats are very similar to C.J. Stroud. Well, let me let me look at something real quick. Um, what, what in the world? How, how many yards did C.J. Stroud throw for? Wow. Okay, so this is this is a fun statistic. Jordan Love and C.J. Strode both threw for three touchdowns, 16 for 21 on completions. Jordan Love had 272 yards passing. C.J. Strode had 274, a two-yard difference. C.J. Strode and Jordan Love, very similar. Oh, my gosh. That is a really weird. That is so weird. Jordan Love, absolute stud. Aaron Jones, 21 carries, 118 yards, three touchdowns. I mean, he's had now, what, four straight games over 100 yards? It's, it's been an incredible run for this Packers team. Receiving, I mean, all the, the I mean, look, the, the, the Packers wide receiver room is like the, uh, the one girl at college who gets there, who's, you know, she's from a little small town. She wants to get adventurous, and all the frat boys have a turn. Everyone's sharing touchdowns on the Packers wide receivers. I mean, Romeo Dobbs, six catches, 151 yards, and a touchdown. Luke Musgrave, three catches, 52 yards, 
touchdown. Dontavian Wicks, two catches, 25 yards, and touchdown. Tucker Kraft only had two catches this game. Christian Watson, only one catch. Bo Melton, only one catch. Jaden Reed wasn't even looked at. Pretty fascinating, if you ask me. But um, Kiesen Nixon, DeAndre Campbell, both getting sacks. Uh, Lucas Van Ness actually getting a sack, too. And so did Preston Smith. For the Cowboys, Dak, 403 yards, three touchdowns, two picks, 41 of 60 passing. He attempted 60 passes. That is triple Jordan Love. Wow. Wow. Tony Pollard, 15 carries, 56 yards, one touchdown. Could not get it going. I mean, Dak had six carries for 45 yards, almost matched Pollard's. Uh, C.D. Lamb, nine catches, 110 yards. It's a shame. C.D. Lamb and Tyreek Hill, I feel so bad. Your top two wide receivers in the league won't even be going to the divisional round. Michael Gallup, six catches, 103 yards. He was doing good. But the best, honestly, the best performance I saw all wild card was Jake Ferguson, 10 catches, 93 yards, three touchdowns with his girlfriend in attendance. She's a famous TikTok star. I mean, Jake Ferguson, you baller. Brandon Cooks, six catches, 47 yards. Tony Pollard had seven catches for 29 yards. Yeah, such a shame. Cowboys season ends like this. And honestly, I don't think Mike McCarthy's going to have a job. I think Mike McCarthy's going to be out of a job. Matt LaFleur saved his freaking job. I mean, holy cow, Packers going to the divisional round. And honestly, you just beat the Cowboys. Your momentum's high. Uh, you have to be thinking that the 49ers can be beatable. I feel like that has to be the mindset for the Packers. I just feel like they have to think that they can get it done, and they will get it done. So, you know what? I'm definitely not going to pick the Packers. I'm, I'm still a Packers hater. You know, I, I honestly rarely give the Packers any props, but after watching them dismantle the Cowboys, I sadly have to give them some props. So good job to you guys. Oh, man. Sucks to see as a Vikings fan. Let's get into our Sunday night game as the Lions hosted the Rams. And by gosh darn it, the Lions will be going to the divisional round. They win 24 to 23. Rams end the season 10 and 8. Lions have now won 13 games. Of course, this includes the regular season. Um, scoring for this game, competitive all the way. David Montgomery kicks off the game with a one-yard touchdown run. Brett Maher then nails a field goal. And then the following drive, Jameer Gibbs gets a touchdown too. It's 14 to 3. But then a 50-yard touchdown catch from Puka Nakua made it 14 to 10. Sam Laporta would answer, make it 21 to 10. And heading into halftime, Tutu Atwell would catch a 38-yard pass from Matt Stafford to make it a four-point game, 17 to 21. Kick off the third quarter, though, and I mean, let me just say, this was one of the most boring second halves, my goodness. Michael Bagley kicks a 54-yard field goal, making it 24-17. Then Brett Maher kicks a field goal, making it 24-20 in the third. Not even halfway through the fourth, it was 24-23. Brett Maher kicked a 29-yard field goal, and then the defenses just came up big. Defenses just came up big, especially the Lions. Especially this Lions D. They just, the Lions D brought it. They brought that D. You know what I'm saying? Respect to the Lions. A defense that many people argued would get cooked. You know, they gave up 17 in the first. They only allowed two field goals in the second half, I believe. Yes. Um, Total yards. I mean, Rams had 425 to the Lions 334. Passing yards. Matt Stafford had much more than Goff, but... um. I mean, pretty pretty similar stuff all around. I mean, there's nothing really jumping out to me. Both teams ran exactly 55 plays. That's pretty whack. Um, Lions allowed three sacks. Rams allowed two. 
Um, gosh, I mean, the time of possession was a 10-second difference in favor of the Rams. These two teams just matched each other, just ball for ball. Wow, just wow. I, honestly, I'm very impressed with these two teams. Checking out the uh, the stat sheet, the box score from this game. Matthew Stafford, oh man, 25 for 36, 367 yards, two touchdowns. I feel bad, man. Matthew Stafford played his heart out. And by the way, the Lions fans were booing Matthew Stafford when, when they were doing player introductions. Why? Why would you boo Matthew Stafford? He's an absolutely great human being. He played his heart out for the city. He was traded because the franchise didn't want to see him uh, not win a ring. So the Detroit fans, honestly, I expect nothing less. Detroit fans and Philadelphia fans, the worst kind of fans. And I actually do know a Lions fan who's kind, and he's the rare occurrence. Kyron Williams, 13 carries, 61 yards. I mean, Kyron was getting no love, my goodness. But they're receiving Puka Nakua, nine catches, 181 yards, and a touchdown. Yeah, you just found your number three wide receiver for fantasy football next year. Oh my goodness, Puka's an absolute stud. Cooper Cup on five catches for only 27 yards, nothing much from him. Uh, Demarcus Robinson, three catches, 44 yards. Tutu Atwell, one catch for a 38-yard touchdown. Ernest Jones, the fourth, um, four tackles, five assists, and had two sacks. Got to be the defensive player of this game. Checking out the Lions, Jared Goff, 22 for 27, 277 yards in a touchdown. He was hooping out there. Dave Montgomery, 14 carries, 57 yards. Jameer Gibbs, 8 carries, 25 yards. And both men got a touchdown. Good stuff from the uh, amazing running back room of the Lions. Monroe St. Brown, 7 catches, 110 yards. Josh Reynolds, 5 catches, 80 yards. I believe he had like 4 catches, 72 yards in like the first quarters of his crazy um, Sam Laporta, three catches, 14 yards at a touchdown. He was kind of chill, but he was coming off of an injury, so it's kind of a resting game for him. Aiden Hutchinson, four tackles, two assists, and two sacks. My goodness, Aiden Hutchinson, one of the better draft picks for the Lions than this past draft. I mean, how, how about that? They get Jameer Gibbs and Aiden Hutchinson. Actually, Aiden's been in the league a minute, but um, yeah, I'm just, I'm just spitting out names right now. Uh, we'll mention the Buccaneers later, but of course the Lions will be taking on the Bucks. Um, I actually predicted the closest score for the Lions. I had it 27-24. It ends 24-23, so pretty good stuff there. Everyone had the Lions. Um, yeah, I'm actually going to be rooting for the Lions probably against the Bucks. You know, I actually don't hate the Lions. I know some people hate the Lions, which is pretty funny because I don't like the Packers at all. And I only dislike the Bears and Lions when the Vikings play them. So I, I kind of find that funny. And I've been a Lions hater before, but... You know, I just, I just, honestly, I, I feel, I feel for them. Not their fans, just the actual team itself. I like Dan Campbell's team. They take risks, they play good, but you know, I'll say, if if I'm getting Vikings 2018 vibes from this Lions team, you know, they have a great game again the wild card. Probably gonna have a great game in the divisional round, which I think they'll win. Then you get to the conference championship, most likely against the 49ers, and you could run into some trouble. I, I don't know. Rams team, I say look to next year. I I don't know what they need to do. They have great young wide receiver, great young running back. It's almost a perplexion to me what the Rams should do next. I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Moving into Saturday, we had the postponed game at noon between the Steelers and the Bills. Actually, it was at 3.30 now that I'm thinking about it. 
And everyone predicted the Bills. My dad was closest with the 30 to 14 score. Final score of the game was, if my screen won't slide down, apparently 31 to 17 in favor of the Bills. Sad to see my roommate is a huge Steelers fan. He was very sad throughout this, but this was the Steelers game to lose. I won't lie. They had opportunities and just could not finish. Steelers won the season 10 and 8. Bills picking up their 12th win of the season after an 11-6 and regular season. And now they're on a 7- or 6-game winning streak now. Absolutely incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, it started off rough. Okay, by the way, for being a 31-17 to game, we kick off the uh, first quarter. It's 14 rip. Dawson Knox, touchdown pass from Josh Allen. Dalton Kincaid, touchdown pass from Josh Allen. Then, halfway through second quarter, Josh Allen has a 52-yard touchdown run, which was just terrible defense by the Steelers. They just let him waltz by. All right, and with under two minutes left, Deontay Johnson's able to catch a touchdown pass from Mason Rudolph to make it 21-7 at the half. Two field goals from each team, or a field goal from each team, two field goals in total in the third, made it 24-10 heading into the fourth quarter before Calvin Austin the third caught a seven-yard touchdown pass from Mason Rudolph, making it 24-17 with 10.5 minutes left. Six and a half minutes left. Khalil Shakur catches a touchdown pass, 31-17, to and the Steelers' offense just could not do anything. They just could not do anything. It was, it was kind of sad to see. Kind of sad to see. I mean, in the rushing department, there's a 73-yard advantage for the Bills, so you can point out that running was definitely their fortois in this game. Uh, Bills ran more plays. Um, two sacks allowed for the Bills, one sack allowed for the Steelers. Penalty yards, six uh, six penalties for 50 yards for the Steelers. Steelers fumbled. Steelers threw a pick. Bills had seven more yards of time time of possession. I mean, this was this was just the Bills. Bills just being a bit better than the Steelers, and the Steelers just not being able to recover from simple mistakes. Let's uh, let's look at the stats real quick before we move to our final wild card game. Mason Rudolph, 22 for 39, 229 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. You know, they rode with Mason, but I feel like Kenny Pickett is the starter. Okay, I won't lie. I feel like Kenny Pickett is the starter for the Steelers. Jalen Warren, eight runs for 38 yards. Najee Harris, 12 runs for 37 yards. Just nowhere to run. They had nowhere to run. I mean, Bills run D on lock. Pat Frymuth, uh, five catches, 76 yards. George Pickens, five catches, 50 yards. Deontay Johnson, four catches for 40 yards at touchdown. Calvin Austin had one catch for a seven-yard touchdown. Um, a lot of missed tackles, I'll say. A lot of missed tackles from the Steelers' defense. That was very notable. We're watching the game, and we're just like, why aren't you tackling this guy? Which I guess was cold, but what do I know? Josh Allen, 21 for 30, 203 yards, three touchdowns, eight runs for 74 yards, and a touchdown. Josh Allen on absolute beast mode. He looked amazing in this one. I mean, I don't know. Patrick Rose and Josh Allen is just always such a fun matchup. Uh, James Cook had 18 carries for 79 yards. Dalton Kincaid, three catches, 59 yards, and a touchdown. Stephon Diggs, seven catches for 52 yards. Khalil Shakur had three catches for 31 yards and a touchdown. Uh, no catches by Gabriel Davis. I love that he is technically the number two wide receiver on this team. I find that absolutely hilarious. Um, Khalil Elam actually got a pick. So shout out to Khalil Elam. Good, good for him. Um, uh, Steelers. You know, it was it was a rough season for the Steelers. They're definitely they're definitely a bad team. This is not this is not a good team. You know, they 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 they're ups and they're downs, and I legit don't know what to do with this team. Another team where you can't even point out one weakness. It's kind of like something needs to change. As for the Bills, you will battle the Chiefs, and I don't even know they've definitely fought a number of times. Fought, yeah, they fought a number of times. 
But um, I don't know who I'm going to pick for that game because this Bills team that I've seen the last few weeks has been pretty good. And, you know, even though the Chiefs did good against the Dolphins, I think it was more so the Dolphins sucking because the Chiefs haven't been necessarily a unit this year. But their defense has been good. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Let's move into our final wild card game, which happened at 7 o'clock Monday night as the Eagles visited the Bucks and everyone but my mother had the Buccaneers losing, she predicted them to win, and by gosh darn it, the Buccaneers get it done. They blow out the Eagles 32-9. Eagles start out their season 10-1, will end 1-6 in a 20, oh my math is bad, a 23-point loss against the Buccaneers. Buccaneers win 32-9. They are now, have won 10 games this season, including the playoffs. First quarter, I mean, it starts off 10-0. Chase McLaughlin gets a field goal on the opening drive, then David Moore catches a 44-yard touchdown pass from Baker Mayfield. Chase McLaughlin would then hit a field goal. Jake Elliott would hit a field goal. Chase McLaughlin would hit a field goal. And then Dallas Gart would catch a 5-yard touchdown pass from Jalen Hurts, and they would fail a two-point conversion to end the half 16-9. So I feel like everyone's thought process was, okay, Eagles are down 7. This should be... Uh, just this should be a good win for them, okay? Third quarter, Eagles get a safety. Trey Palmer catches a 56-yard touchdown pass. Heading into the fourth, it's 25 to 9. Everyone's kind of like, okay, you know what? The Buccaneers, you know, who knows if they'll hold on. Eagles just need to lock in. Eagles do nothing. Chris Godwin catches a touchdown pass. Final score 32 to 9. The downfall of the Eagles was, and I got this from online, steep, steep, a beautiful description. It was a steep decline for the Eagles. Honestly, I don't feel bad for them. I feel bad for Jason Kelsey. Okay, I feel bad for Jason Kelsey, but Nick Sirianni is definitely going to be out as the head coach. Total yards, I mean, 426 to 276. It was all bucks. 119 rushing yards to 42. I guess the Buccaneers decided to show up today. Unreal. Um, Eagles only had 13 first downs the whole game. Never made a third down. Never made a fourth down. Just insane. And you know what? The, the defense is also, the offensive lines, I mean, three sacks allowed for the Eagles, four sacks allowed for the Bucks. That's not even like that, like, like it's not that uh, much of a difference. I mean, it's not like Jalen Hurts didn't have time. He just was not successful. I, I, I have no explanation for it. I'm going to need an off-season explanation for what went wrong with this team. Jalen Hurts, 250 yards and a touchdown, had one run for five yards, just, it just didn't do much. DeAndre Swift, 10 carries for 34 yards, held in check. Devontae Smith, yet again, I compare him to Tyreek, I compare him to Puka, I compare him to CeeDee Lamb. Eight catches, 148 yards, a great wide receiver. We don't get to see anymore. Uh, Dallas Goddard caught a touchdown. That's that's all I can point out. Um, just ugh, just a rough, rough, rough uh, time for the Eagles. But for the Bucks, Baker Mayfield, 337 yards, three touchdowns. And I projected, I'm pretty sure, that the Buccaneers are going to be a tanking team. And now they're in the divisional round. But nothing but respect to Baker Mayfield. Rashad White, 18 carries for 72 yards. Kind of held in check, but he was able to get past it. Cade Auden had the most catches. Eight catches, 89 yards, which I find crazy. David Moore, two catches, 66 yards at touchdown. Trey Palmer's one catch of the game was a 56-yard touchdown. Chris Godwin, four catches, 45 yards at touchdown. The number one wide receiver, Mike Evans, only three catches for 48 yards. Just just was not being looked at. This was not being looked at. This Buccaneers team is fun. It's feisty. And it'll be very interesting 
to see how they match up against the Lions. Because, I mean, and first off, I love pointing this out that the Lions or Buccaneers will be in the NFC Conference Championship. I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, if Packers make it, that's insane. But, I mean, I feel like everyone kind of thought the 49ers would make it. But, I mean, your other two favorites, Cowboys and Eagles, not in it. I mean, even the Rams are being looked at. I mean, this is this has been a fun and feisty playoffs. I absolutely love it. Um, I'm personally going to go with the Bucs. Uh, I'm not going to say anything because I cannot decide. Because I go, I, I say, oh, I'm going to go with the Bucs. But I go, but the Lions, I don't know. Eagles expect some big changes next season. Buccaneers, man, oh, man. I'm excited to watch you guys play next weekend. And I do have the official uh, schedule out for next weekend. Um, 3.30 on uh, Saturday, Texans will be at the Ravens. Probably going Ravens for that. You know, I had the Texans written down. But there's just no way I can pick against this Ravens team, can I? There just really isn't. If I'm going to pick an upset, it's going to be Bills over Chiefs or Bucks over Lions. Okay, so uh, 7-15 Saturday, Packers visit the 49ers. Already going with the 49ers. Y'all know me. I'm a Packers hater. Uh, 2 o'clock Sunday, Buccaneers versus Lions. Pick to be decided. 5-30 Sunday, Chiefs versus Bills. Pick to be decided. So 49ers you can bet as a lock. Ravens we're putting in right now on the sheet. Um, but I don't know exactly if I'm going to keep that. Of course, I'll be adding in my score projection on Thursday's episode, but we'll see. Of course, yes, uh, Thursday's episode, we'll be doing a full breakdown of UFC 297 and a full projection for the NFL uh, a divisional round. Should be fun to uh, talk about all of that stuff. So, um, yes, that's all I got for the NFL wildcard weekend. I mean, it was it was very interesting to say the least. That's all I can really um, that's all I can really point out. Before we get to the main substance of this, it's not even the main substance. We talk about a lot of stuff here on the Spice Podcast. But before our UFC Vegas eighty four review, um, let me talk about a book that I've been reading. I haven't read it too much. I I just read like a chapter and a half or something. But um, I recently, for Christmas, I got the book The 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene, a national bestseller, very notable, very influential. And it's been a very good book. It basically just talks about the, uh, the laws that people follow to obtain and hold power. And let me just read you the first three because I've only read those chapters. There's 48 chapters. I've only read three. I mean, I've read 30 pages of it. Okay, give me a break. But the first one, never outshine the master, all right? This one is very interesting. Um, concept of it is just make those uh, make your superiors always feel comfortable, like you're never trying to outshine them. Um, and your desire to uh, try and, like, uh, please them or whatever, never go too far in displaying your talents so you might accomplish the opposite of becoming better than them, which is inspiring, inspiring fear and insecurity. You must make your masters appear more brilliant than they are, and you will attain the heights of power. Ooh, I find that very fascinating. As of right now, I don't really have any superiors. I guess professors, maybe. Uh, my boss, when I try and get a job for the summer or get an internship. I don't know, but I don't know if that one really applies to me right now. But I, I, do, I do think about it. I do think about it. The second law, never put too much trust in friends. Learn how to use enemies. And I, I like this one. And don't get me wrong. This doesn't mean don't be loyal to your friends. But it means... It means basically don't always trust your friends with stuff like such as like don't give them a job opportunity if you're a boss just because they're your friend. OK, because it's given examples 
throughout history of where uh, someone hired their enemy and they worked very hard. And so, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer, sort of that old saying. And they don't even mention that saying in the book. But um, I honestly, I'd probably hire a majority of my friends if I was a boss. But at the same time, I don't have any enemies. And the book kind of says maybe you need to make some enemies. But um, because, you know, enemies do kind of get you fired up. I mean, look at Sean Strickland and Driscus Duplessis. My goodness. But um, I don't have any enemies. I'm not, I'm not really an enemy type of guy. You know, I kind of I kind of float under the boat. I'm kind of just all nice. Like, hey, look at me. I'm Zach. Okay, that sounds kind of fruity. Um, the third law I read today was consider your intentions. Uh, it's all about keeping people off balance and in the dark by never revealing the purpose behind your actions. If they have no clue what you're up to. They cannot prepare defense. Guide them far enough down the wrong path envelop them in enough smoke, and by the time they realize your intentions, it will be too late. I kind of like this, concealing my intentions. I am a share. I am a share, and as ominous as this book sounds, I kind of take it more in a practical in sense, uh, um, implications. You know, I do share a lot about my life. I, I'm not really someone to hold secrets. I really don't have any secrets, honestly. I tell my, I tell my roommate everything, my girlfriend, my parents. I tell pretty much everyone everything. And sometimes I have to realize that, you know, I can't share everything. Sometimes I have to conceal my intentions. And the most recent law, which I uh, started, but I'll probably finish for bed, was uh, always say less than necessary, which is, I mean, come on. For a talker like me, I mean, this is, uh, I needed this advice back when I was in kindergarten. Always say less than necessary. Never say too much. You know, try and be very calm when you speak, and you'll always say the right thing. So, very, uh, very fun stuff from the 48 Laws of Power. I'm going to probably keep everyone updated on my experience reading the book, maybe even my thoughts after done reading the book. You know, maybe I'll, maybe I'll uh, use it to take over the world, have some, uh, have some world domination after uh, finishing a book like that. I'm, I'm obviously being sarcastic. But let's get into the final point of the podcast, which I always love talking about. You know, we talk about a lot of stuff here on the Surprise Jab podcast. And to round this one out, we're going to be reviewing UFC Vegas uh, 84. Well, now the I always say, I always say, like, uh, oh, we're going to be reviewing this, and then I'll just look away for a second, and I'll automatically forget what I was going to say. But, yes, UFC Fight Night, uh, Magomed Ankalaya versus Giant Walker went down this weekend, the first event, UFC event of 2024. It was it was fun. It was a good one. We went 4-1 and one on our main card projections, 8-3 and three on the whole card, only 8 incorrect picks on the whole card. Pretty impressive. Only one on the main card, which is official. I wish I had my... Uh, other notebook with me where I write out, write out all my UFC picks where I could say what my all-time total is, but uh, I don't have that, so we'll save that for next week's episode. Let's review the card because if I can finish talking in 40 minutes, then this episode can be on YouTube. But uh, I am working on trying to kind of get, I don't know, filming myself is not as easy as I thought it would be because I don't really have like a set location I film. It's kind of just my laptop, my mic, and my notes. Um, and having multiple mics for multiple guests is kind of expensive, so I don't know. We're, we're going to try and work this podcast up to higher levels. But as for now, we got to talk about UFC Vegas 84. And we kicked off 2024 with a flyweight bout between Joshua Van and Felipe Bunez. And yeah, I'll be damned. I'll be damned. I said Joshua Van was going to get a KO, and he did. The first fight of the year, the last like three or four years, has ended in a knockout. And guess what? Joshua Van gets a round two TKO over Felipe. 
Boonias. Absolutely amazing from the 22-year-old. I love Joshua Van. This was his third UFC appearance. His third on short notice, might I add. Um, and this was his first finish in the UFC. This was his sixth knockout victory of his career. And he extends his winning streak overall to eight. Um, pretty competitive fight starting off. Um, Felipe Bunez actually had more strikes than Joshua Van in round number one, landed a takedown on him. Was looking pretty good, um, but Joshua was able to get back up towards the end of the round, recover, and then when round two kicked off, I mean, Joshua Van just went AWOL on him. I mean, my goodness. Uh, total strikes in round number two, 131 to 28, and four and a half minutes in with just under 30 seconds left, Joshua Van drops Felipe Ends the fight. I mean, just an absolute killer. Absolute killer. I mean, totals from the fight. Uh, 83 significant strikes to 50 in favor of Joshua Van. 154 total strikes to 57 for Joshua Van. I, I loved what I saw. I loved what I saw from him. Um, I predicted a round one knockout. And uh, you know what? Uh, Joshua decided to wait till round two, which better than better than never. Better than never, I suppose. But, um... You know what? I'm excited to see what the rest of the year brings for Joshua Van. Definitely not the rankings. Definitely not the rankings at the moment, which we'll get to, actually. Uh, we're going to look at the updated UFC rankings but um, once we're done with this card. But just a uh, just a crazy start to the year. Great fight to kick off the year. And Joshua Van sending us into 2024 with a little knockout. Moving into our second prelim, the biggest upset of the night. I could not believe this. As Nicholas Mota who had not won since uh, September of 2022. He had been knocked out by Manuel Torres last year in June and then brutally beat by Trey Ogden in November of 2023, which ended in no contest, which shouldn't have happened. Uh, the man who uh, Jim Miller knocked out in 2022 um, knocked out Tom Nolan in a minute and three seconds. Six and no Tom Nolan, who had all finishes. Nicholas Moda beats. The, first, the second fight of the year is the first upset of the year. Absolutely amazing. Nicholas Moda did not give him a chance. Um, improves to 14 and 5 and gets his 10th KO victory, saving his UFC career. Wow. Nicholas Iron Mota. I mean, just to tell the, the tape, I mean, just to tell you, is they, they just went out scrapping and Tom got caught. Tom kept getting caught. He got dropped. Nicholas landed follow up punches, and that was that. All right, Tom Nolan had so much promise after his Day White's Contender Series win back in uh, August of 2023, and now there's not UFC material, clearly. He's not UFC material. You cannot get finished by Nicholas Moda in a minute in your UFC debut. There's so much potential. It's a shame. Our first incorrect prelim prediction of 2023. I guess our incorrect prediction overall, but what do I know? Nicholas Moda, he'll stay in the lightweight division. Let's feed him to someone else. I, I don't really care for Nicholas Moda. It's nothing personal. It's nothing personal. I just don't find him uh, intriguing. I feel like he's a guy who gets knocked out. He doesn't do the knocking out. But I'd eat my own words as he did the knocking out against Tom Nolan. Wow. But I'll tell you an absolute opposite in our next bout at featherweight as Gene Silva, who had been coming off of a contender series win last season, came in against Weston Wilson and absolutely dominated. Weston Wilson had debuted last year against Mar Joe Henderson Brito and lost that bout. And he lost this one against uh, Gene Silva. Gene Silva, 27 years old, gets his ninth career victory, improving his win streak to nine. Wow, 12-2 record, nine-fight win streak. And, man, let me just tell you, Gene Silva hits hard. 
I didn't, he had a very weird, weird walkout. It was very long. It was like four minutes. He was like barking. He was acting like a villain, which I also was kind of rocking with. I found it absolutely hilarious. And it confused Weston Wilson. Um, and Gene was just on top of him this whole round, landing good strikes. He landed a takedown. Um, Weston got right back up. But I mean, well, I tell you, just Gene Silva, an absolute killer. Welcome to the UFC. Better division. Not much to say. Not much to say here. I projected around one knockout in Baghdad, darn it. I got around one knockout. So how about that? I projected knockouts through our first three fights. Two of them were by guys I projected. The other ones by uh, other people. But man, so much fun. So much fun. Moving into our next bout, a bantamweight bout between Farad Basharat and Taylor Lapalouse. And Farad Basharat would win by unanimous decision, improving to an impressive 12-0. and 0. As for Taylor Lapalouse, he would lose his fourth professional MMA bout. And in his recent UFC run, is now 1-1 one one since his return to uh, the UFC. I mean, tell, let me just tell you how this fight went. Farid Basharat just took him down over and over. Significant strikes, 42-40 to 40 in favor of Farid. Total strikes, 55-41. Takedowns, 5 of 16 for 7 minutes of control time. Fred Basharat was just on lock, doing what he needed to get done. He has now won three UFC fights. Um, man, that's just all that went down. I feel kind of felt bad for Taylor, but at the same time, you know, it's their own fault that they don't grapple well. Um, I projected, for, I pro- projected, predicted, that's the word, I guess projected, I, proje- I made a projection about what I, nah. I predicted that Farid would win this unanimous decision, and he did, I mean, he, he he can call for a top guy if he wants, but this was boring, this was boring, maybe Ricky Simone is the option, we'll get to his fight with Mario Batista in a bit, but there's just nothing really happened here, nothing really happened, Farid Basharat, Javid Basharat, both undefeated brothers, they just don't put on exciting you know, they're grapplers, you know, maybe, you know, they could be a Khabib, though. Once they get to a higher level, they start to get exciting. And then we get into our next bout. And by gosh darn it, I'm the projection king when it comes to the prelims as Marcus McGee took on Gaston Bolanos. Gaston Bolanos uh, won his debut last year in the UFC, was 7-3, and three, but that didn't matter to Marcus, the maniac McGee, who wins his third UFC bout by finish, getting a performance bonus with a round two TKO. And guess who projected a round one or a round two TKO? We did on the podcast on episode 56. Marcus McGee's win streak improves to five and he gets his eighth knockout victory in nine fights, where he also has a submission, keeping his 100% finish rate intact. And I mean, just impressive stuff from Marcus. I mean, round one outstrikes him 44 to 14. He took him down for two minutes. I mean, Marcus was just showing Gaston there's levels to this. And it was kind of funny because Gaston Bolanos has a chest piece, red shorts, and a beard and hair similar to Ian Topura. So he kind of looked like him. So it was kind of funny watching that. And then round two, I mean, Marcus played no games. Just stro- beat Beat Gaston into oblivion, dropped him down. Gaston would get up. He'd keep getting his face punched in. The ref stopped it. Marcus McGee, you're a star in the bandweight division. I absolutely love you. Absolutely love him. And he's only 33. You know, he's only 33. So right, he is 33, I think is the correct word. So he's getting up there in age, but he's approaching the rankings. And honestly, I think he's one or two fights away. Probably two or three, actually. Two or three fights away from a ranked opponent, Marcus McGee. You are fun to watch. Very, very fun to watch, indeed. 
Oh boy, into our final prelim of the night. I'll mention in a second why Andre Arlovsky versus Waldo Cortez Acosta was on the main card, but our final prelim of the night was Preston Parsons versus Matthew Semmelsberger. And we predicted that Matthew Semmelsberger would knock out Preston Parsons. And for some reason, I'll compare Matthew Semmelsberger to the Philadelphia Eagles where he should be good, they should be good, and they just lose. Matthew Selmosberger loses a unanimous decision to Preston Parsons, where I turned off the TV. I'm pretty sure I was playing Xbox because this fight was so, so boring. I mean, oh my goodness. Preston Parsons getting his uh, 11th career victory, his second in the UFC. I mean, just I don't even understand this fight. Where do I begin? 30-27 across the board. Preston takes down and just outstrikes Matthew Selmsberger just just casually in round one. I mean, Matthew just wasn't doing a lot. Round two, the same thing happened. Round three, the same thing again. I mean, totals from the fight, 47 significant strikes to 28 in favor of Preston, 116 total strikes to 33 in favor of Preston, 7 of 11 on takedowns for 6.5 minutes of control time. I mean, Preston didn't do a lot. He didn't even look like UFC caliber, which should say a lot about Matthew Summelsberger. And here's Matthew Summelsberger, who has a 16-second knockout of Jason Witt, a 15-second knockout of Martin Sano. He beat Jake Matthews in 2022. I mean, I just don't understand. The downfall of Matthew Summelsberger has been steep. Steep. All right, we're using that word for a second time. As for Preston, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. I mean, here's a guy who was getting TKO'd by Daniel Rodriguez in 2021 and is now back in the win column. How about that? How about that? I don't know. Marcus McGee definitely uh, had me going high, and then Matthew Semmelsberger dropping me down low. Three-fight losing streak now, so I guess he's a real loser. And the featured prelim was supposed to be Waldo Cortez Acosta versus Andre Arlovsky, but as we found out Thursday, or yeah, Friday actually, it was Friday, uh, Manel Cape missed weight for his bout with Matthias Nikalu, and it was canceled. Manel Cape has now had more fight cancellations than actual UFC fights. He's had six UFC fights. He's had eight fight cancellations. Manel, you greatly disappoint me. Wow, I can't keep defending Manel Cape, you know. So all those guys, I just, I just can't keep defending him, man. I can't keep defending him, you know. He, it's a shame. I was excited to see that fight, but the main card, main card made up for it. It didn't start off that way, though. It didn't start off that way, though. The main card starts off... Waldo Cortez Acosta taking on Andre Arlovsky. And if I were to tell you, I want you to guess if we're going to see a absolutely just slow-paced heavyweight boxing bout, you'd be correct. All right, Andre Arlovsky outstrikes Waldo Cortez Acosta 58-49 to significantly in total and loses a 29-28 unanimous decision just because, you know, I don't even know. This is absolutely terrible. I mean, this was, this was a terrible bout. I mean, I don't even know where to begin. They just casually struck each other. Waldo Cortez Acosta was acting cocky. You know, he's acting arrogant. And it was like, dude, you're not even doing a lot of damage to him. Um, but, you know what? He wins wins the decision. He improves to 11-1, and two-fight win streak. There's just not much to say. This was disappointing from Waldo Cortez Acosta. That's around Jarlovsky. His third straight loss, it's... Definitely wasn't pretty, you know, this is, and we can compare this to his fight with Jake Collier, his fight with Jared Van Rijn, Carlos Felipe, Chase it's just a casual boxing bout, and it was boring, so, I don't want to see either of these guys fight again, if I'm being honest, that just absolutely killed the vibe, but, um, you know, I did project the Waldo to win by 
unanimous decision, and he did. So I mean, that should that should say something. That should say very very much something about uh, how good I am at uh, predicting the outcomes of fights. We'll see how the rest of the year goes on, though. My first main card incorrection of the year, my third and final incorrect prediction for this card, as Bruno Farah took on Phil Haas, and I really hoped that Phil Haas's chin would show up with the rest of Phil Haas's abilities, and sadly it didn't. Bruno Ferreira, who I knew had knockout power and was good, knocks Phil Haas out cold in round number one. Gets a performance bonus, too. Very impressive. Um... Yeah, you know, they're going back and forth. They're striking. They're, it, was, it was back and forth, and just I saw Phil Haas get clipped once, and he looked kind of wobbly, and I was like, it's going to happen. You know, he hung in there. Both five seconds left. His chin finally gave away. And Phil, no hype Foz, I mean, just an equally good nickname to his abilities, is, you know, going to be out of the UFC. And here's a, here's a guy in Phil Haas. Here's a guy in Phil Haas. You know, he, he debuted on Namwood's Contender Series, with a uh, perfect record. He was undefeated, and he lost. He lost to Julian Marquez. You know, and he comes back on the fourth season of Davis Contender Series in 2020, knocks out a guy, debuts against Jacob Malkoon at UFC uh, 254, Khabib's last uh, fight card, and TKO's Jacob Malkoon in 18 seconds, okay? Then beats Nassani Imovov, beats Kyle Dacus. You know, he's on this little four-fight win streak in the UFC, and then runs into Chris Curtis in 2021 and gets knocked out in round one. You know, that was kind of a first red flag. But then in June of 2022, he destroyed Darren Wynn, TKO'd him. And then it, there was some promise there. And then Roman Dolodize in October 2022 finishes him in round one. May of 2023, Iker Walker puts him out cold with a punch. And now Bruno Fajera knocks him out. So Phil Haas is now on a three-fight winning, losing streak. One in four since November 2021. Knocked out in round one in all those losses. And he's probably leaving the UFC. Sad to say. Sad to see you go. I love you. I love you, Phil Haas. I'll miss you. I'll miss you. But Bruno Ferreira, I know he's good. I know he's legit. Um, he knocked out Gregory Rodriguez last year. Then got TKO'd by Nur Sultan Ruzabov. But he's back. He's got knockout power. I'll be excited to see this little 5'10 boy in the middleweight division dealing out punishment. Um, uh, what's his face? Bruno Ferreira getting his eighth career knockout victory. 100% finish rate, too. How about that? Impressive stuff from Bruno Ferreira. And it was 50-50 on who I was going to pick. Kind of picked with my heart on Phil Haas. I should have gone with the stats in favor of Bruno Ferreira. But honestly, it didn't bother me too much. I was kind of more just like, wow, that's, that's the last I'm going to see of Phil Haas. Moving into our third fight of the evening, we had Ricky Simone take on Mario Bautista in this fight. This fight made me very happy as I actually watched a guy ascending up the rankings. I mean, Mario Bautista, Ricky Simone, it was competitive. Round one, you know, Mario was outstriking Ricky, but Ricky landed a takedown. Got a minute and a half of control time. Ricky was looking kind of, kind of good in that one. Round two, though, Mario, the striking, starting to let loose a bit, you know. Ricky couldn't land a takedown. And then round three, Mario Batista let the boxing go, outstruck him 62-15 to 15 in round number three. Totals from the fight, 112 significant strikes to 45 in favor of Mario Bautista. Ricky went two of 13 on takedowns for only three minutes of control time. As Mario Batista wins his sixth straight bout and gets a unanimous decision. Very, very happy about that result oh my gosh i i was pumped i was pumped mara batista i like him uh we'll mention his spot in the rankings in a moment but um 
Man, very, very good win for him. And, uh, yeah, tough loss for Ricky Simone. He's uh, slowly descending down the bantamweight rankings. So has lost his last two bouts after previously being on a five-fight win streak. But, yeah, Mara Batista, he'll be looking up in the rankings come his next bout. Um, so exciting stuff from Mario. Uh, but, yeah, I thought, he, I thought he'd also submit Ricky, but uh, he did not. So we do get a little ambitious with our submission picks. I won't lie. I won't lie. I'm always on verdict hunting to get the most XP. And I'm throwing out these knockout, these freaking knockout victory. I don't even know. I'm, I'm betting the most random things on there. Oh, no money involved, but just free XP. Co-main event, though, I just love Jim Miller. Our third performance bonus of the evening as Jim A10 Miller Submits Gabriel Benitez with Cain Velasquez in his corner in round number three. Absolutely fantastic. Jim Miller gets his 20th career submission win and just continues to be a stud. And we actually have some surprise Jim Miller news that broke live on the pod that we're going to talk about to round out the podcast, which is pretty exciting. But um, as for now, Jim Miller, Gabriel Benitez, I mean, round one, these two are striking at each other. They're going to war. Gabriel, um... Oh, and actually, no, they were dead even. 32 significant strikes each in round number one. It was, they were going to war. Round two, Jim Miller starting to pull ahead, 28 to 22, landed a takedown. Round three, Jim Miller gets Gabriel Benitez's back, locks in a neck crank, bottom break his neck, and Gabriel taps Jim Miller, you freaking legend, gets his second straight victory. And by the way, since October of 2021, Jim Miller has gone 5-1. and one. All five of those wins finishes. Absolutely incredible. Jim Miller, a living legend. Um, I can't wait to talk about the breaking news that we just found out. On my phone, as we're, re- as we're doing this, to round out this episode, we're going to have some breaking news involving UFC 300. So uh, we're not even going to mention any more about Jim Miller. The legend Jim Miller lives on. Very happy for him. I thought he'd knock him out, but honestly... A submission win, also good for Jimbo. Then we get into our main event, and honestly, I did not see this ending so quickly. Magomed Akalayev knocks Johnny Walker out in round number two. I thought he'd knock him out in round number four, personally. So, I mean, you know me. I was I was already ready to for the knockout, but um, my goodness, my absolute goodness. Magomed Akalayev drops Johnny Walker in round number two with a beautiful counter, sits him down, and on the follow-up punch, shatters his freaking nose. In round one, you know, Magomed was just outstriking Johnny casually. You know, 17 to 15. It was close. But round two, we started letting the hands go, and once Johnny got caught, Johnny got dropped, and Johnny went to sleep. Magomed on Kaliah, my boy, my freaking boy. Now we can talk about the rankings. He didn't move up past Jiri or Jamal, but Magomed on Kaliah still ranked number three in the light heavyweight division. Incredible, incredible stuff. And he called for that Alex Barrett title shot. And honestly, Jamal Hill has been on the sidelines for a year. Magomed's been out here trying to get wins. Give him the title shot. That's right. Magomed Akalayev is on a 12-fight unbeaten streak. I absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. Um, as for Johnny Walker, tough loss for him. I expect a fight against uh, Cleo Roundtree Jr., Maybe a rematch at Ryan's band, Osvaldo versus Cutoff. I have no idea. Someone below him for Johnny Walker. Someone below him in the rankings. Uh, but man, this was this was an absolute banger of a uh, main event. And I always love when they end in the first two rounds, especially at the Apex. Apex events suck. Let's not lie. This this card would have been so fun with a crowd. Imagine the crowd's reaction to the knockout in the main event, to Jim Miller winning, to Bruno Fajara's knockout. 
of the booze for Cortez Acosta and Andrei Arlovsky. It's just, it's a shame that we have so many Apex events. And I think for, through, through April 13th, which is as far as the UFC is currently booked, they have seven Apex events. That's absolutely crazy. That's absolutely crazy. That's, that's so sucky, so sucky. Magomed, excited to see what's next for you. Johnny, we will see what uh, else is for you. But man, the, the night belongs to Magomed Ankalaev and Jim Miller. Absolute suds. And Magomed gets a performance bonus for this too, which uh, also makes me happy. Because I love when the boys get paid. All right. Let's check out these rankings. Because we did have the rankings. They updated Tuesday. Um, sometimes I talk about this on Thursday, but we're actually recording on Tuesday, so we'll talk about it. Um, men's pound for pound, Sean O'Malley passed Sean Strickland from 8 to 7, very random there, Sean O'Malley fights at UFC 299, Sean Strickland fights in, checks watch, four days. Um, in the bantamweight division, Mara Batista's win propels him to number 14. I project a fight with number 9 ranked Rob Font. Next for Baro Batista. As for Ricky Simone, he drops down to 15th, and I think he'll fight an unranked fighter. Umar Nurmagomedov bumps up to 13. Give him give him a top top guy. Arnold Allen drops down to 4, no longer tied with Brian Ortega for 3. Super random, being that he's fighting this upcoming weekend. Leroy Murphy is now tied with Alex Caceres for number 14 in the men's featherweight division. Uh, I think Leroy Murphy's fighting Danny Gay coming up. In the men's lightweight division, Jalen Turner is now uh, moves past Dan Hooker from 10 to 9. That's pretty interesting. Uh, and Benoit Saint-Denis is now tied with Rafael Dos Anjos for the number 11 spot. Dan Hooker, no fight news for him. Jalen Turner, I believe, doesn't have any fight news either. But I know Benoit Saint-Denis is taking on Dustin Poirier at UFC 299. Sean Brady, now tied at 6 with Wonderboy Thompson. He, of course, will be fighting Vicente Luque. We mentioned that. Brendan Allen passes Roman Dolodice from 8 to 7. Brendan Allen fights Marvin Vittori in March, I believe. Or maybe it's April. I can't even recall. Roman Dolodice, I don't know if Roman has a fight book yet. Anthony Hernandez passes Chris Curtis from 14 to 13. Makes no sense as Chris Curtis fights this weekend against Marc-Andre Barriut. In the women's divisions, um, Lauren Murphy has been removed from the women's flyweight rankings. She was ranked number 6. She was removed for inactivity. Joanne Wood is now in, who also is inactive. Um, and women's bantamweight, Macy Chasson, now tied with Carrosa for number nine. Misha Tate drops down to 11. Uh, last thing, the heavyweight division, Rodrigo Nascimento passes Marco Sergio de Lima from 15 to 14. Marcin Tibera is no longer tied with Derek Lewis for 10. He's now ranked 11. And Tai Tuivasa passes Sergei Spivak from 9 to 8. Very, very random. I mean, I just, I just I don't see any anything of validity down there at all but uh yeah the only interesting things i'll say is maro batista getting in the rankings but um yeah happy for magomed that he gets the win and that'll round out our discussion on ufc vegas 84 which brings us to our big breaking news breaking news on the podcast absolutely breaking news i love breaking news I love breaking news here on the podcast as Dana White just dropped a bombshell announcement. For UFC 300, we have Jim Miller taking on Bobby Green. That is right, Bobby Green, um, who recently fought Jalen Turner at UFC uh, Austin. I mean, Bobby Green, an absolute killer. Uh, I believe these two have fought in before. Um, or maybe they've been booked against each other before, but Jim Miller, 
Bobby Green going down at UFC 300. An absolute amazing prelim. Happy to see Jim Miller getting on UFC 300. He fought on UFC 100 and UFC 200. On UFC, let's actually look how he did because I was trying to remember. I couldn't. On UFC 200, he finished Takanori Gomi in round number one with a TKO. And at UFC 100, he beat Mac Danzig by an decision. So he's one on 200 and 100. We'll see what happens for Jim freaking Miller. Oh my gosh, happy for that. But that's not the big one. That is not the big one. The big one going down at UFC 300. It's not even the main event. I don't even know if it's going to be the co-main event. A five-round bout for the BMF championship between Justin, the highlight reel Gaethje, and Max Blessed Holloway. Oh my goodness, an absolutely massive fight just dropped by Dana White. It is almost 8 o'clock on a Tuesday, Dana. What are you doing dropping these news? Thank goodness we were able to catch it to round out the podcast. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness, just breaking news live on the pod. Justin Gaethje, your number two lightweight contender, your BMF champion who knocked out Dustin Poirier in 2023 and sent Hafel Fazeev to the stitching chamber with some face scars. Oh my goodness, and do we even have to talk about Max Holloway? Beat Arnold Allen in 2023, retired the Korean Zombie, your number one featherweight, your former featherweight champion. I mean, oh my gosh, I'm losing my words right now. Absolutely massive bouts for UFC 300. This is this is huge. This is freaking huge. Jim Miller on the card. We also get um the BMF bout on the line. Um, my, just I'm just I'm actually amazed. I'm absolutely amazed. UFC 300 is saved because of Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway. That fight is going to be ridiculous. That honestly, that probably is main event worthy. It won't be. It won't be. But now you have to realize. This is this is the currently UFC 300 selection. You got Justin Gaethje and Max Holloway. At Max will be the third fight on the main card because you have Zhang Weili and Yan Chaonin, and you can't have that over that. Okay, which means we're probably going to get another title fight over that. You also have Jerry Prochaska and Alexander Rakic. That's pretty good. Bo Nickel, Cody Brundage. That's pretty good. Seeing Bo Nickel, Jim Miller, Bobby Green. Thank goodness we see Jim Miller. Devison Figueredo, Rob Font. Love that. Love that that fight's going down. You also. What else do we have? We have Calvin Cater and Calvin Cater and Aljamain Sterling. That fight's also going down. I mean, this card is slowly, slowly coming together. Let's try to see if there was a forum or something. Um, because I, I, sometimes people, sometimes people post stuff so I can actually like look at the current, current card setup for uh, the whatever. I don't know. It doesn't even matter. Those are some massive. Massive freaking bouts. Uh, just UFC 300. Absolutely love it. And Max Holloway has never been dropped. Justin Gaethje, notoriously known for being a savage. This is going to be a banger of a fight at UFC 300. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Breaking news. Crazy. Absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, I think I think that'll do it actually. I think that'll do us in for this episode. Episode 457. Episode 57 of the podcast rounds up here, wraps up here. Um, heading into next week's episode, not next week's next episode in general, going down Thursday, of course, going over the uh, divisional round of the playoffs, going over uh, UFC 297, all, all full fight breakdown. You know we do that. Absolute massive middleweight bout for the belt between Jesse Duplessis and Sean Strickland. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Thank you so much for listening. I hope you have an amazing week. You know, it's only a Tuesday. You got three more days till the weekend. You guys got this. This is amazing. We're going to keep working to bring you amazing information here on the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'll catch you all next time. Have a good one.